you're young with erectile dysfunction, something's up. If you're older, you know, your, your body's older, and so naturally things stop working so well. But when you're young, it's like, okay, is it biological? Is it, is it medical? Usually not. So what is it? And then what guys will then do, driven by a complex, dare I say, is then they'll turn towards nofap. And that's yeah. getting away from an argument of whether or not we agree with that particular philosophy yeah. or like lifestyle. It's just yeah. something drove you there. It's like, okay. And then what people do is through nofap or a 90-day reboot, as they call it, their erectile dysfunction comes, comes uh, the erectile dysfunction goes away. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Too young to live by. Thank you for tuning in once again. Over the last week or so, we've been building somewhat of an impromptu mini series, all about the mother and the anima and development, psychosexual development, that kind of thing. And the response to the last video that we put up was quite staggering. Yeah, we were all quite quite impressed with the, yeah, the, very, the level very of the moved, very moved as well, actually, by a lot of the comments. So yeah. thank you guys. Yeah, it's, it's it's surprising actually. Like um. I don't mean to toot our own horn or anything like that. It's, 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 it's a reflective of the quality of the community, but mm. you don't get mm. comments like that in most places. No, even on not. say other say psychological channels. But I thought I'd get a little selection of what you guys have been saying. Um, so Johannes Cox said similar situation here. If it were possible for you guys to make a video going into more detail about going back down to the instinctive level, that would be extremely helpful to me and to others. Joshua Knox has said he's had this same problem and has been speaking for a therapist for the last three weeks. But the therapist has basically said there's nothing that can be done. Is this a problem? The answer to that is yes. Uh, a guy called Fuck Your Feelings said, I am in such a similar situation. Java Art has said, thank you so much for this video. I am in a very similar situation and I'm also gay. Christian Sather, or Sather has said, it's no joke how much inappropriate behavior on behalf of the mother can mess up her son. I wonder if we can ever really escape these sticky motherly webs. And Ahmed N has said, as a gay man myself, it's very hard to find any good clinical discussions about the matter, particularly because of the social mm. and legal repercussions. And obviously you guys were saying in the last video that this stuff is very, very common. Yeah. And people don't talk about it. No, as, they don't. As, you know, the guys in the audience are like, wait a minute, that sounds a little bit like me. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, there is a political suppression of this, there's no doubt. And before we had the political suppression, there was more of a cultural one, which was a kind of a cultural unconsciousness over this. And Freud had broken surface tension with it in the late 19th century, along with his colleague, Josef Breuer. And it was suppressed then. Uh, and it's being suppressed now. So in that sense, it is a very, very important topic. And over the years, Paul and I certainly, and again, I know I'm repeating myself, over 40 years of experience, we've seen so much of this. And it's a very private and personal experience and a very distressing experience, but it is so common. And it's often latent in the sense that it's in the background of other problems that present. And they're like screens, if you like, which are presented as if that is the problem when it's not. And very often things bottom out into this kind of thing, which is really all about early attachment. Because early attachment to caregivers through the parents or whoever's in loco parentis for a child of either sex will help to determine that person's sense of identity in all of its manifold meanings, which includes boundaries, it includes your self-concept, it includes the anticipation that you would hold consciously for how your life will unfold. So many things are affected by early attachment relationships, so it's of vital importance that the people are helped when issues arise around that. Mm. 
So, I mean, judging from the comments, you know, we're not the most popular channel in the world, no. but there's quite a few of you guys. What can be done about something like this in the absence of, say, a formal therapeutic relationship? Not to endorse any kind of self-analysis, jump mm. into the psyche, psychonaut type stuff, mm. but what is a practical thing someone could do if they suspect that they've been influenced and negatively affected by something like this? Well, it's very hard. Very, very hard indeed, James, to do something or to sort something out for yourself in a vacuum, would you say, Paul? If you believe it's only happened to you and that your frame of self-reference has been shaped by those early experiences, it's actually normal for you. That, that's the way your life has unfolded. And contradicting that when you suddenly realise, hang on, this has damaged me, it seems so far in the past, so remote... It's very, very difficult, isn't it? Or it seems to be, to bring about change. Yeah, I, I think some of it is what you you guys have just said, really, which is the inhibition or feeling the inhibition about talking about it at all. Mm. Um, and um, because of the institutional abuse that exists, yeah. I mean, that's, that's where you should be able to go for help. Yeah. I think we said this on the last podcast, you should be able to go out into the culture and receive the, the help that you mm. need. And it's only when you realise um, that those institutions are corrupted and you can't access that help properly that, I mean, that, that's that's like being abused all over again. Yes, it is. Really. It is. Uh, and, yeah. and yet the culture, you know, the government uh, in particular are always putting out messages to say, look, that help is out there, it's available. You know, don't be afraid to come forward, don't be afraid to speak about these things and yet when you do you you very often met with a very different response to the one that you yeah. expect yeah so to some extent you you left to fall back to your own devices and i guess and some of these guys obviously have commented on this finding a therapist that switched on enough mm. to know about these things and to understand the current zeitgeist and the fact that a lot of this has been politicized mm. it's very very difficult to access someone who understands in that complete sense what the person coming to see them is up against yeah. mm -hmm. um, and um, I suppose this is why, why we're feeling the impetus as therapists to talk about this more if we possibly mm. can mm. and uh, talk about our own practice mm. and how we would tackle some of these things yeah. and um, hopefully some of that will be uh, mm. helpful uh, to people it's, it's the only way we feel that we can maybe yeah reach more people yeah is to talk about it collectively as a group of therapists and our own experience yes. of things uh, and we have personal experience of it within the context of our own family mm -hmm. and obviously we have it within the context of our wider work as well yeah yeah we have yeah re really good points of course uh, as you say paul the yeah. uh, one of the problems of going to a therapist is that the therapist is a human being who has developed shall we say within a specific context yes that will include a political context these days sadly yeah um a lot of therapists even of the analytical orientation are very shifted and i, I won't say in which direction yeah you, you can find out quite easily if you google it um <laughs> shifted in a certain political direction yeah. which colors pretty much everything that they do and how they think and how they approach people within the, the various psychotherapy schools it's like a Tower of Babel. They all speak a different language. They all think they have the only truth. And therapeutic dogma is placed in the way in between the person who just wants help yeah. 
and the therapist. Oh, yeah. Um, mm. And you very often get this inculcation of a particular theory or worldview or even a political set of beliefs yeah. um, into somebody who goes to a therapist for help. So, in everyday terms, a self-help group, uh, charities, yes. uh, they do an awful lot they of good do. work. They do. The awful thing is they shouldn't have to exist, though the fact that they yeah. do shows there is something wrong with the way the culture broadly is handling these yes. things. Yeah, and they're often underfunded. Yeah, and and sometimes they'll just be a. I mean, we've known this a single person at the helm, mm. trying to deal with all the the yeah. you know the incoming traffic for want of a better expression and. Yeah. Whilst they may be very well placed to, to help people, and often they are because they've had this kind of experience in their own background mm. um, and experiences of coming up against um, the institutions and, and, and uh, all the difficulties surrounding them, uh, nonetheless, there, there's often not enough people no. uh, within the charity or within the organisation to, to help the volume, the sheer volume of, of calls that are coming into them. And, well, this uh, is, this is why that, um, you know, we, we get comments or whatever else saying, you know, why do you critique the archetype so mm. much or Jung yes. so much mm. or yes. CBT so mm. much? And it's like, this is why. Yeah. Because we've, we hit on a topic which clearly resonates with people in mm. terms of their own personal suffering, which mm. isn't just suffering in a moment. It's not acute, no. it's chronic. It is. That's the yeah. horrible thing where you can't get yeah. back on your lifespan. It's like, mm. well, that's why we speak out against it. Because it's a yeah. real, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a threat. And it's what people will come to when they first want to seek help. Yeah. It's saturated with of the swear famous. word. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes, indeed. Um, first of all, though, there is hope. There's massive hope. Oh, yes. And that's an important thing to get across. We're in an ecology which does not support people who've been abused. Mm. Uh, abuse being a very wide uh, category, of course, but the ecology, the, the cultural ecology, does not adequately support that. The therapeutic ecology does not either. But fortunately, there are ways for people to share information and share positive growth potential that they have within themselves yes. and within a group, and they can move forward. Um, there's immense power in people coming together and, and bringing about positive therapeutic change. There is a shadow side to that, and that is that it can form a group if you like, of identification and mutual cross-infection psychologically, wherein people actually suppress development because of a few dominant personalities within the group, or perhaps even an ideology that's taken on board. That can be a therapeutic or a political ideology. In effect, they're the same thing, and that can lead to a suppression of growth. Moving away from some of these, you mentioned archetypes, uh, some of these, these constructs, these therapeutic constructs is very, very important. I am often put in the place where I appear to criticise Jung or I actually do openly criticise Jung and I get criticised for that. Believe me, I wouldn't do it if I wasn't absolutely sure it was necessary in the context of doing it at that time. And one of the reasons why it's necessary is there is so much nonsense out there uh, being pushed around about Jungian ideas that they tend to inflate people away from actual experience of tackling real-world problems. Yes, it's, it's not the collective unconscious, it's what you've actually experienced in yes. your real life. Yes. yes, yeah, yeah. The collective unconscious is real, and I don't want to get distracted necessarily into that. It's what it is, what it really is, that's important to understand. 
otherwise you provide yourself with a fantasy uh, and a means of escape from engagement with real life. Nobody, nobody ever comes in and says, I have a problem with this archetype or whatever it is. They come in and they're suffering. They want the suffering to end. And it should be the job of a therapist. And that's my context. It should be the job of a therapist to do everything they can to end suffering. Mm. This is primal suffering when someone is abused in such a way that not only is it physical or sexual, it abuses their sense of identity and their capacity to develop and become themselves over their lifespan. That is so fundamentally serious and damaging. That really has to be looked at in its own context. There is a way of solving it. Archetypes should not be your first port of call. Probably actually the last, if you're going to engage mm. with it at all. These uh, archetypes will make some sense at the end of your journey, but you can treat them then for what they are, which are basically just fantasies. The real place where the harm is done is also the place where the cure will be achieved and that is at the level of instinct and people don't understand what instincts are generally. There is this prejudice that instincts are animalistic and not human and that somehow archetypes are transpersonal and spiritual and quasi-religious or even a replacement for a natural religious yeah. expression in our lives. They're not and I say that as someone who has got 40 years clinical experience but has got close on 50 years experience of depth psychology in my own life and in the lives of others. I didn't come to this conclusion easily, it's hard one. Uh, we've been through a great deal together, as Pauline said, with respect to our own families and things that have happened to one of our own children. Um, we've worked with thousands of people in depth we know what's important to real people when they suffer and we know how and what the best ways are to bring yourself out of this kind of awful mess. It is not archetypes and it is not CBT either. No. Um, people are hurt at the level of feelings. And don't fall for this Jungian idea of thinking versus feeling. Mm. All these oppositional polarized views they don't lead to anything except stasis and stagnation and rumination avoid them completely Jung said that feelings can have people he's absolutely right with respect to that and these injuries are not cognitive these injuries are at the level of emotion and at the level of instinct and of identity fundamental identity if you just simply try to reframe your thinking you're going to do nothing whatsoever to do with the instincts that have launched these feelings into your consciousness to impel you to do something about the suffering and the pain that you feel so deep it's down at the level of your genome. It's at that level, it's biological. And there's too much rejection of biology in favor of psychological reductionism. Biology is the logos of life, the reasoning of life itself. Why do people reject it? It's absolutely stupid. Yep. Biology is yep. your fundamental, that's what you come from. And when you die, that's what you decompose through. If you have a spirit and it's released after that, that's absolutely fine. And that's something you can argue about metaphysically. But living is biological. Psychology is a concomitant of biology. It's never separate to it. And when people are hurt with respect to their psychology, you can be absolutely sure that their biology has been affected as well. Instincts serve a purpose. They are goal-directed. They are intelligent, programmed, 
actions of behavior that our ancestors have gone through. They're about survival, but they're about adaptation. They're whole situations. They include narratives to push you through to completion and getting through serious situations of adaptation in life. We do require another level to modify instinct that gives us plasticity and ability to, to function widely in response to immediate threats. But if you were only cognitive and had no contact with your instincts and with your emotions, you are going to end up in a mess. And if you then impose a cognitive level of therapy on someone, there will be a dose effect curve which is based on suggestion. That simplistic suggestion will wear off and it happens time and time again with CBT people, the victims of CBT. They end up going back into the system and recycled, told to think again in another different way. Whereas the fundamental issues have not been addressed. And for those of you who are informed about neuropsychoanalysis, and if you're not, I strongly suggest that you should, you will learn that emotions themselves are conscious. It's a separate kind of conscious to our normal consciousness, but it's faster. It's two milliseconds faster in terms of processing than the way information is processed in the cortex, down in the limbic system, down in the base of the brain. That's where things start to happen very, very quickly in terms of forming reactions to traumas and to stress. This is where complexes come from and this is where our ideas about our archetypes come from. The conscious idea we have about the representation of instinct through emotion and an action in culture. That produces these so-called archetypal images. Get down to the level of instinct and emotion and you'll sort this out. Well, Steve, you were saying about uh, the emotions being conscious, but a different yep. type of consciousness. Yes. It's very, very strange how we don't know that. Yes. And I wouldn't toot my own horn either, because it's one of those things you, that you kind of know. It's like, well, of course we have emotions for a reason, but we like to think it's primal and pushed away. Mm. But Rossi was the one who sort of slapped yep. me into shape with that. I was reading him recently, and he's like, the, the things that you experience in your body and your emotions are akin to signals from the unconscious. Because mm -hmm. how else would it signal to you? Well, we know from the Jungian analysis stuff, that dreams are like a signal or a message to you from the unconscious for yep. individuation purposes. Mm -hmm. But so could a headache, so could anxiety, yep. so could a feeling of being scared or a feeling of being sad. It's like, what's wrong with that? It's like, mm -hmm. well, therefore you're right, you're right, you've got sort of your, your cognitive side, and then you've got this other side that's equally as valid that's mm -hmm. trying to talk to the cognitive side. Yeah. She's like, okay. That immediately gives you so much power to come back because you've got, in the moment, either watching this video or away, you've got mm -hmm. a starting point. To be like, how am I feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for those guys who are used to thinking of the conscious and the unconscious minds in the more usual way, and that's most people, and that's no one's fault or problem as such, the insights gained by neuropsychoanalysis are enlightening. Because most of what we regard as being conscious is unconscious. And a lot of what we regard as being unconscious is actually primary consciousness. And the emotions are conscious in and of themselves. But this is a real discovery. This is not theory. This is something which is demonstrable scientifically. Emotions are the primary basic form of consciousness. The way that uh, Professor Mark Solms puts it is that you can't have as such an unconscious feeling. That doesn't mm. mean to say that there are, or there are not, feelings that are not conscious. In other words, that the unconscious feelings don't exist. It's just that you can't receive that without a form of consciousness. When you are aware of a feeling, it is conscious at that point. Mm. The thing is, it's always been conscious, and it becomes conscious with respect to our normal awareness 
at a point of significance. And it's always when we're being impelled to bring about the proper satisfaction of a need of some kind. This is why we feel an emotional impetus to solve problems out in the environment. We're being impelled to do that. And the emotion itself is delivered by instinct, and the instinct is under the regulation of the genome. Very often on a timed release mechanism because of issues like puberty, which is perhaps the clearest example. Yep. But in order to get to grips with how you've been hurt in the past, you have to understand that you were in a particular emotional state and a particular developmental state at the time that that particular trauma first started and then if it was reinforced then you have that occurring over a timeline yep. there is a level of consciousness then which is independent to normal cortical consciousness which exists before we can think about it as i mentioned before mm -hmm. and these feelings and instincts imprint a whole body state with respect to the the genome as it is at that time uh, and the anticipation of how you should be treated. So if it's from a caregiver, the anticipation genetically from your genome is that this caregiver will meet your needs properly and the attachment instinct in you is to bring that about. And under normal conditions, the caregiver should imprint reciprocally upon the child and then the whole situation is nurtured and cared for properly. The caregiver has all the power. If the caregiver abuses that relationship for whatever reason, then the instincts, which are powering in from the genome, delivering emotions to imprint attachments at a particular time, get affected. This is subcortical, but it's already beginning to build what we would call complexes later on. As that person evolves and develops through puberty and on into adolescence, then that initial impression starts to attract other material to it. The kind of things that we can think about but perhaps we're not fully conscious of in an ordinary sense so i'm sorry if this is too theoretical at this no, stage, no but, not, not at all. But, but what you need to do then is to reactivate the whole state that was involved at the time when you received that initial impression not to go back to being a child a vulnerable child yeah. that is the key distinction and where a lot of therapists go wrong is that they infantilize people by getting them to reenact childhood in a cognitive way that's not the way to do it the way to do it is to approach it by activating in consciousness a bridge a connection yes. between who you are now and the state that received the impression that was traumatic or problematical for you. Once you've got that, you can truly reframe the experience at an emotional level because you're directly communicating with the doorway, the portal to your instincts and therefore your genome. If you approach it only cognitively, hyper-rationally, you'll never get there. If you approach it through fantasy, you won't get there because fantasy is a distraction. It's a diversion away from direct contact with what is your real unconscious mind. The real collective unconscious includes many things, instincts for sure, for all of us. Many, many other categories as well to do with information processing and anticipations about the environment, but instincts are the primary drivers of our behavior. They have intentionality. And as Jung himself said, archetypes, as he called them, were the self-portrait of instincts, which means instincts create them. And the portrait, by analogy in this case, is an image. There's your archetypal image. And that's something which becomes conscious. Instincts, when they're fully mobilized, 
are really conscious in a normal ego or egocentric way. They just impel us to action. It has to be that way. If we had to think about them cognitively, we'd never get anything done. We'd get no. distracted um, off into diversions. But when you connect with an instinct through emotion, and I don't mean by catharsis or abreaction or freaking out or primal scream or anything like that. I mean the conscious aspect of emotion. You can truly begin to correct for the damage that was done in the past. And this is why I don't believe in re-traumatizing people by infantilizing them, saying that they're in a child, uh, creating the fantasy of that and directing it back in time, allegedly. You're not touching it. You're not touching the problem. The problem is coded emotionally at the level of instinct and in the genome. That's where you have to go to fix it. There are methods of doing that. There's so much I want to say on that. But quickly on, on the inner child, granted in biology, the idea of an inner child theoretically it wouldn't get into any journal ever. No. no one would ever take it seriously. It's like, yeah, no. you were once a child, but not anymore. Your transcriptomic profile is completely different than when you were a child. Yes. It's like, so therefore, you're not a child anymore by definition. Yeah. But when you're talking about this sort of affect work, if you yeah. like, um, done it on myself and yeah. I've helped other people through it, it is so, yeah. so, so powerful. It is. Because someone like myself will just bring in typology slightly just for illustrative yeah, sure. purposes. Sure. You could say I'm like a walking around floating head. It's been, been a joke on this channel and with the, with the uh, Carter. Um, for a little while now and you you know I've, I come to you with some kind of issue like oh I, mm. I, I, um, I can't fix this or this is going wrong and you're like feel it and I'm like oh well aha aha ha and we, which doesn't work because if you go straight to your cognitive mm. faculties we're just asking for complexes to come in and oh, distract yeah. you yeah, yeah. and you know this is true because every time you approach a problem which you might have had for years the solution's different every time yeah. different complexes yeah. will tell you a different thing well I should yeah. go work more to fix it oh well maybe this yeah. this book will help me ah you just a prof into la 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 yeah. yeah. but the emotion is like I don't know the, the emotional profile mm. will vary from person to person but when you start to feel that rage come in mm -hmm. or the upset come in mm -hmm. then you, you you change psychophysiologically you do. The, the, all your cognitive faculties are blown out of the water yeah. you're not conscious yeah. in that same sense anymore it's like you've ducked down into something slightly deeper mm -hmm. that as an introductory exercise so powerful. Yeah, it you really actually works. you actually lose the capacity at that point to think in that way oh, yeah. that you've just described. It's so refreshing as well. Yeah, in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, but it's interpreting the signal correctly as yes. well. It's coming up, isn't yes. it? Like that that's got to be important that you do that accurately. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, that's why I, I was saying that um, don't just have a catharsis or an abreaction, which uh, was the way that Freud and Breuer dealt with. Uh, traumatic memories from childhood for example uh, where there were emotions there'll be a, a ritual purging um, and people feel okay after that just like dare I say it people who suffer from bulimia can feel great after they've thrown up mm. that's a, a, a transitory hormonal response to the discharge of, of emotion mm. in the moment but it's not the emotional encoding of the trauma it's something separate it's another level of distraction and it's also potentially damaging because when you revivify and you're not actually, you're creating a completely new state uh, through a, a catharsis or an abreaction, you are open to impression, to suggestion from the outside and internally from your own complexes. And what you may find is you just created more and more layers of distraction. Are you also saying at that point, or in, implicitly through your action, that the ego has no purpose in terms of orienting for a problem? 
if the ego evolved to do that specific purpose, if you yeah. simply give in to emotion yeah. and just release emotion, for example, you go yeah. into a rage state, so you go and scream at everyone that yeah, you've yeah. Ever, you ever met to break away. Yeah. You've sacrificed the actual like phylogenetic purpose you would. of the ego at that point. You would. Yeah, so it's a unification between the two. It is. So if I'm on the right track. Then. Yeah, you are. I mean, that, that, that's really how Freud conceived of uh, the ego. It was had an executive role of adaptation to the outer world. And neuropsychoanalysis, which is an emergent discipline from within affective or emotional neuroscience, uh, the two leading figures will be respectively Professor Mark Solnes and the late Professor Jak Pansek. Um, they looked at it in that way because it makes absolute sense biologically, it makes sense clinically as well. Uh, and Mark Solnes, for example, says that uh, consciousness essentially in, evolved to deal with an extension of homeostasis which is balance within the body an extension beyond what the body can do for itself so it allows you to adapt to the environment with flexibility that's the purpose in an evolutionary sense of consciousness once it evolves it evolves further and it's reached its alleged apex in human beings but one of the problems with that is that we tend to over identify with the contents of our immediate consciousness mm. and we forget that things are imprinted at a different layer it's emotional. Again, they're making the distinction between emotion as in a catharsis or an abreaction and emotion as in a whole body state. And that whole body, which is Rossi, that you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, Ernest Rossi's work, uh, is involved with that interface between pure psychology and pure biology. It's the interface that crosses young psychoid boundary at the level of instinct and straight into the genome where there are so many controls in place uh, for like for gene expression and mm -hmm. then obviously uh, through lifespan development as well. So if you get to that level, if you get to the level of emotional processing and understanding, you'll find that your emotions actually calm down because the pressure on you is reduced immediately. And as soon as you ask yourself the question, what do my instincts want from me? You can ask yourself real questions then. And I don't mean go out and kill people because I want to be possessed by rage and uh, revenge or anything like that. Mm. It'll be the instinct to be adapted. The, the instinct to optimally develop yourself. This is Jung's individuation process. But Jung didn't bring biology in enough. It was psychologized and then put into the, the realm of myth and fantasy, which are containing vessels for other things. But the real primary drivers are biological. If you ask yourself with all honesty where your real pain is, it's in your adaptation through your lifespan development. Yeah. It's not in a fantasy. It's not the engagement, say, with a computer game. But it's treated as if it is when people start to go on about archetypes and archetypal images. Those things are unnecessary in terms of development and in terms of addressing real issues within yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm reminded quickly of, um, uh, I think this is a decent example for like the whole body state, because it also sums up um, young men and potentially mother problems, is working with guys with erectile dysfunction. If you're young with erectile dysfunction, something's up. If you're older, you know, your, your body's older, and so naturally things stop working so well. But when you're young, it's like, okay, is it biological? Is it, is it medical? Usually not. So what is it? And then what guys will then do, driven by a complex, dare I say, is then they'll turn towards nofap. And that's yeah. getting away from an argument of whether or not we agree with that particular philosophy yeah. or li lifestyle. It's just yeah. something drove you there. It's like, okay. And then what people do is through nofap or a 90-day reboot, as they call it, their erectile dysfunction comes, comes uh, the erectile dysfunction goes away. 
and they can start performing sexually properly again. And it's like, well, therefore it was, well, pornography caused this through dopaminergic damage or something where there's no mechanism known whatsoever. So no, 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 you got your sense of masculinity back. That was what happened. And whether or not that's a healthy thing in the long run is a different yeah. question. But it's like you've influenced through your psychology, your biology. And yeah. to add a slight Jungian splash on top, it's yeah. symbolic. Like that's yeah. more Freudian even. It comes back. You've got, you've got a mythologizing of dopamine there. It's true. Instead yeah. of an understanding of what it is. And, and the creation of imaginary connections, which, as you say, actually feed into other things. Mm. Far better to get into the other things and set the distraction aside. Then yeah, well, you it's a misattribution of things, isn't it? Misattribution, really? yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So on that idea with the with the nofap and the um, erectile dysfunction, it's like okay, what you've got there is a man's inability to properly relate to a woman. Now it would be very crude to reverse engineer that and say it's caused by an overprotective mother, but it can be caused by an overprotective mother, and that has been some of my experience both with friends and with working on the clinical work. So you find a weird paradox that ends up, which is really sad and keeps mm. people trapped. It's like so I've had issues potentially with my mother or with something similar in the past that then become psychobiological, and by confirmation bias, I end up overamping my masculinity further and further and further. And what you end up doing is you know in these um, community that I, mean, I was part of them for years it's like mm. well we need to do our cold showers and our and our walks and our journaling and our this and our this and working out and everything else it's like where's where's mentioning of talking to women it's actually ends up being pathologized semen retention is what they call it independent of say a spiritual framework which is where something like that would belong but yes. rather yeah. i'm getting it's, it's one of the self-development thing to hold back my ejaculation and it's like what you can see if it is caused in specific instances by say an overprotective mother she's one mm. she's one and everyone just gives into it yeah i don't I, I don't know what you guys think about that but that sounds incredibly sinister to me mm. well i think it absolutely is and and, and it, it's in keeping with what you said earlier steve really about um self-help groups of any kind in so much as often they um they maintain pathology as well mm. and um sometimes it it takes someone to break out of that or break away from that frame in order for other people to see how just how entrapping it is mm. and you're right to say james that you kind of um men seem to do this don't they that they try they, they almost become a a caricature of themselves in, in an attempt to to display their masculinity and and uh, in the in the process of doing so they actually uh, lose the very thing that maybe it it defines them in that way mm -hmm. and um it it doesn't like you say it doesn't solve the problem of relating either because uh you know men are supposed to create a uh, create a vessel for themselves in order to receive women then the kind of that rather than being proactive the kind of doing it passively the mm. kind of trying to shape themselves in such a way that they hope women will then be mm. attracted to them i was, I was gonna mention that to you yeah yeah mm. and they're but they're not actually doing that they're actually doing the opposite of that and mm. um that's very sad it's mm. it's, it's very very sad it is um, it's like um when you don't psychological maturity isn't being built but it's, it's as if you're tacking other things onto yourself to compensate for that. Yes. And I, I was there once as well. Mm. And, you know, I've got lots of friends who do that. So there's no, like, value judgment on those people. No, sure. But it's like, I'm not a woman. I never have been a woman and probably never will be a woman. But I presume a woman would not find that kind of thing optimally attractive. Mm. To be like, well, mm. he's on his nofap and his cold showers. Yes. 
I want a bit of him. Yeah. You know, it's it, it, other things which would be psychological maturity Absolutely. in the broadest sense. Yeah. Well, in any relationship, people want engagement, don't they? Mm. That's what surely what relating mm. is all about, whether it's between men and women or, or you know, same sex uh, individuals. It, it, it's that feeling that you can connect and you can have rapport to someone mm. with someone. And this I mean, we've often said this, Steve, ourselves, haven't we? And we've probably said it to our own son along the way there are so many ways of being a man yes so many oh yeah so many many authentic ways of being a man and they don't all involve going to the gym and pumping iron and building yourself up in that way and uh appearing to be virtuous by um repressing you know your 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 sexual needs and so on i mean it's um it's a kind of um it's what's the word i'm looking for it becomes kind of uh, not sterile. There's another word which probably describes. I know what you mean, that. though. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's just it just strikes me as being a so devoid of relating of mm. doing something about something which isn't really the thing yeah. in and of itself. It's symbolic, isn't it? it? Yes, it it's is a symbolic. Conversion. Yes. Yeah, a cathexis of libido, as yes, Freud would say. Yes, you could put it that yeah. way. Yeah, you could. And having been in that situation before, if you can actually... Re- I know it appears cognitive at first to be like, this is a good idea to build myself into a strong man. Mm. It's, it's not really if you sit in the moment and think about it. Mm-hmm. It's something is compelling you to do it. Yeah. And usually the cognitive result of that is, I must do it or else I'm not a man something like that, Mm. then you know you're being driven by something else. Mm. There's a complex there, that there's an instinct underneath that wants to come through. Mm. And if you look at what's happening, and what obviously talk about the personal myth a lot, Mm. it's like, well, the base of of that, or the usual deepest layer that you can go to for for, um, um, just general practicality is mating and relating. Mm. And it's like, if those things aren't in place, but these other things are, what's driving what's driving this it's another way to sort of get back down yeah. into in- instinct again and be like okay wait what by his libido or by her libido ye shall know them yes it's like so why where's this interest coming from and it could well be obviously on topic of this conversation we've gone off on a little bit of a tangent but it could well be something like oh, yeah. an overprotective yeah. mother or it could oh, be yeah. an absent yeah. father or other oh, things yeah. that they've experienced yeah. Yeah. that's the depth psychology way of doing things. it is and that's why we've got all of these theories really um that have branched off from Freud and Josef Breuer, who's often forgotten, um, the, the Kleinians um, and the Object Relations School. All of this has come from something. It's come from real-world observation. We may disagree with some of their conclusions or some of their emphases. We can't eliminate, though, the fact that it's based on real observation of real people. Mm. Uh, and that's important. And this is one of the drawbacks of Jung, isn't it, Paul? That it gets too abstract, or is the interpreter of him is that way with what James was saying mm. then about how deep you can go and this idea of individuation you, you get this ego self axis idea um, it's not necessary to think in those terms and it is a distraction and it's why Pauline and I and particularly me on this channel anyway um, promote shall we say the idea of the genomic self uh, that it is biological in origin. You cannot separate yourself off from your genome. You have no choice about that. It's what you're born with, mm-hmm. and its regulation regulates your psychology fundamentally. can't escape from it. Your development, biologically, anyone would accept, is based on your genome. So why would you separate your psychology off and then put in this other entity, the Jungian self, 
uh, as this reified thing which manages everything. It doesn't. It, the so-called Jungian self is a projection of the genomic self, in mm. our view. Uh, in other words, it is the same thing, but it's that thing which stands a chance, however difficult, of being perceived within consciousness and experienced as a symbol within the culture. That's what it is. It's a psychological experience of a biological fact which itself interfaces with culture. So when you bring it back down to the logos of life and lifespan as being a biological release of your genome and adaptation, you understand yourself better immediately. You don't have to throw away spirituality. So those people who feel, and Pauline's often uh, discussed this uh, with me and pointed this out, it's as if people think or feel in an inappropriate way that they are dispensing with spirituality by focusing on biology. Yeah. They're not, not at all. What it means is that they're too attached to fantasy. When you can ground yourself in biology, you can authentically move forward. This is why we, you know, Paul mm. and I talk about Freud first, then Adler, then Jung. So in other words, instincts and biology, then social adaptation, and then you can address Jungian issues, so-called spiritual and transpersonal issues. Okay. If you don't deal with your biology, if you don't deal with your social and environmental uh, aspects of life and adaptation, you'll never have a spiritual life because life will eliminate you way before you get there. And if you're lucky and you somehow navigate your way through to a Jungian level, but you've still got a pile of Freudian and Adlerian issues left behind in your wake, they will come for you. Mm. So you need to address them. And remember that a lot of Jungian talk conceals Freudian and Adlerian issues of adaptation. Yeah. So important. Yeah. Well, I was talking to um, a lady yesterday who um, is very uh, knowledgeable um, and all the Jungian ideas. She also has a, a, a wider understanding of psychology too and understands about the model that we use. But um, nonetheless, she was um, she had reduced everything to psychology with respect to um, understanding and interpreting some of the difficulties that, that she's been having in her own life. And it was the thing that struck me about it, and I, and I, and I think struck her as well as she was um, she was giving this um, very sort of. Um, lengthy analysis really of her own situation and I kind of just sat and listened to her patiently for some time because it, it almost felt that it, it was necessary for it to, to give this exposition um at the at the by the end of the session it was quite clear that it was all irrelevant and she talked around lots of things she talked around for and, and like I say she's pretty well informed so she was talking around things like the animus around transferential issues um about complexes etc yeah. etc et and at the at the end of the session it got down to the fact that well she's she's hit 30 she's in a relationship with somebody she's not sure whether it's the right relationship for her or not um and the pressure to become a mother the instinct to become a mother is it's starting to um well it's been making itself known for some time but it's starting to increase in intensity and she's a, a career woman and all of all of those things obviously are on her mind as well and also the relationship to uh her own mother but also the the, the complete lack of 
transmission transgenerationally through mm. the female line for her about yeah. what it means to be a mother herself and her early conditioning uh, was such that she was made to feel that she always had to prove herself and that she had to go out into the world of work and, and prove herself as well and that she had to be competitive uh, with her siblings and it was as if she's or she has been for a long time this kind of constant drive state and you could mm. you could see um from her body language and from the the increased emotionalism that she was emotionally and physically exhausted mm. because she was so driven but at the very heart of that the very bottom of all of that was her need to be a mother and to do things her own way but she had no decent female role models to fall back on th through which to um uh to to draw on if you like to to be nourished by uh, that would allow her to release her own potential to become a mother and to do things in her own way and she said to me at the end of the session she said well I really wasn't expecting that I'd, I'd you know I wanted to talk to you because I wanted to talk to you about about theoretical issues really and she had to accept by the end of the session well that's that's the thing that's where the pressure mm. is coming from for her to actualize mm. that aspect of her herself and she also said, well, I guess that the only way I'm going to solve this problem is in the doing of it. And that might not seem like a lot to say, but that is actually quite a profound thing yeah. because, yes, she does have to go through it in order mm. to resolve it. And, yes, she will hit up against her mother complex and it will try and interfere mm. with what she has in mind mm. and, and, and uh, with even just, say, uh, getting to a point where she gets pregnant. And, you know, obviously there, there, there will be issues beyond the pregnancy as well. But unless she goes with that and she fulfills the obligation to the genome mm. she will never resolve it mm. and it just struck her i think in that moment that that's what she has to do and the difficulties that she's having uh, relating to her partners well to some extent will be resolved as well by her by allowing herself to go with that process because he was almost parenting her and that was pushing her into to a particular state where she in relation to her him she was more of a child and i had to say to her look if he's allowed to release his instincts properly and therefore to father his own children then the likelihood of him wanting to father you in in that kind of almost inappropriate way will probably fall away as yeah. well mm -hmm. and so many issues can be resolved by as i think we're all saying by tuning into the instincts and finding out what they want from us and find a way of managing them and managing that process in our everyday lives and i i really i really hope that and i do believe she could be a fantastic mother there's no reason why not and the, the going through with that and, and the living of it, that lived experience, is what ultimately will blow our own mother complex away. Yeah. 
and it will be irrelevant at that point. She yeah. needs to go out and be a mother and be a mother on her own terms, in her own way, with her own experiences and to simply look out for where her mother complex might try and intrude on that. Mm. But the more she does it and the more she works on it, the less of an issue it will be. I do believe that. And, uh, you know, like I say, it was... Um, it was a bit of an eye-opener, I think, too, because she hadn't expected that that was, that was the thing that was really bothering her. Yeah, that's so, a uh, perfect exposition of how practically uh, to look at things from a therapist's point of view, uh, guiding somebody uh, who thinks they have a theoretical problem and, and has their head full of, in this case, it was probably Jungian ideas. Yes, it was, yes. Uh, it uh, was uh, all uh, animus stuff right, and yeah, okay. typological okay, stuff yeah. and, yeah. So all, all the Jungian constructs were there, but, get, were. but getting in the way of her instincts being expressed Definitely. properly. Yeah. You can utilise the theory later. It's a luxury when you're yes, comfortable enough oh, yeah. to yes. do with it. But uh, right in the raw when you need to deal with adaptation, you have to go where the adaptation is yeah. or has not been so far in your life. Yes. So yeah. that was a perfect example Yes. Out, yeah. outside of uh, theoretical rebuttals, which you tend to get from me. I think the the, the the thing that that struck me was her own realization or the the realization that her psyche provided in that moment of what she needed to do that that yeah. was what struck me the most really was that suddenly it was summed up for her the the way forward the way out of it and it was it was clear and it was simple and uncomplicated and it was it it was um you could say it was a, a kind of spiritual awakening yeah. in a way. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, but, and this is what you've been saying about the instincts, mm. yes. Steve, as being a vehicle yes. to spirituality yes, they are. in a way that people don't fully understand that they can be. I totally agree with yeah. you there. Because it was an awakening. When, when you have a truly numinous experience, you're on the side, if you like, and of your instincts, but also of your genome. Mm. That's why you get the rush. That's why the emotions pour through. Why you yeah. feel better emotionally because your genome, which is watching you all the time, will say, "That's it. That's what you want. Yeah. That's what you need." Yes, it's if what's you required then, of you. If you then though yeah. replace that awareness with a whole set of construct ideas, yeah. you've lost it. Yeah. You've dropped it. You've dropped the progress you could have made. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Thank you for watching this episode of Young to Live By. If you haven't already, make sure you download our free PDF for integrating your shadow. It includes the most advanced theory on the topic available anywhere on the internet, as well as a full practical breakdown. If you've ever wanted to integrate your shadow, this is honestly the way to do it. Thanks again for watching and take care.